morning church great to see everybody this morning if you're visiting with us this morning at grace we're glad to have you and uh you know hope you feel welcome and be blessed uh, by our service today i'm going to start off with a quick announcement about uh our trips uh missions trips in particular belize um the dates for belize are june 3rd through the 10th we got that nailed down it's first full week in june and we've got a good core group but we could use some more people so i just wanted to open that up to you guys if you feel like the lord's leading you to do something Belize would be a great one to do it, but not just for Belize, but for all the trips. The deadline uh, is April 2nd, all right? We've got to kind of wrap it up by the end of the month. We've got to buy tickets and plan and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, so yeah, we're doing construction down there. So, particularly if you have any, uh, you know, knowledge about uh, remodeling, that kind of stuff. We're going to be working with kids, but you don't have to know anything. If the Lord's leading you, just come on. And I will say this, you know, we've talked a lot about the scholarships, guys. Now is a really good time. Uh, a blessed time for our church uh, to take advantage of things and go on a missions trip. Uh, this, the opportunities you have now that the Lord's provided us to help people do it, uh, they may not be here next year, okay? Uh, so right now is a really good time uh, to do that. And um, you know, I was thinking this morning, you know, if, you, if you're thinking about going, it's kind of like, um, you know, I envision like a, a kid that's on the pier at the lake and he's never jumped off this big pier in the lake and he's deciding, you know, do I really want to go? Do I want to do this? Do I want to take this step? He's a little timid and he can't make his mind up. So I'll just encourage you, if you do step back from that pier, all right, and you don't, you decide it's not time to go, make sure it's the Lord that's got your hand and leading you away from that pier, away from that dock, okay? Uh, don't let it be Satan because I promise you, uh, God may not want you to go on a missions trip. That's perfect. That's feasible, all right? But I promise you, Satan don't want you going on no missions trip, okay? That's, I can guarantee you that, all right? Because only good things happen spiritually for people uh, that stretch themselves and, and, and follow the Lord's leading on stuff like that. All right, so uh, let's enjoy our service this morning.
I didn't know I was supposed to sing. Um, <laughs> and if you're visiting, you don't want me to do that. I thought I just came up when you guys were done. All right. Well, that's all right. It works out good. Good to see you guys this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're thrilled that you're here um, today to worship with us. How many of you heard me yesterday? Could you hear me? You should have been in my living room. It was beautiful. It's just a beautiful thing. Woo pig suey is all I can say. I want to give you just some announcements uh, to think about. Uh, we will be having a sunrise service on Easter uh, Sunday morning, and um, that'll be at 6.30. And if that sounds early, it is early. Uh, after we're finished with the service, uh, we will have breakfast here at the church. Uh, to have breakfast, um, you, you don't have to come to the sunrise service to have breakfast. So if you just don't get up and it's your choice, hey, look, I'm just going to come to the 1030 service, which is fine. Um, you can still come and eat. We're going to have pancakes and bacon. Bacon's always good. You know where bacon comes from, right? Uh-huh. My goodness. So um, Easter Sunday morning, we will have uh, pancakes and bacon and some juice and stuff like that, coffee. We'll do that uh, from 7.30 until about 8.45. We'll serve breakfast. So next week, this is how it's going to work. Next week, if you will, once you exit the foyer next week, and I'll remind you of this, um, we're going to have... I'm going to have the secretaries out there, and they're going to have some tickets. And you'll have to just pick those tickets up. There's no cost. You'll just pick the tickets up so that we'll know how much we need to make in terms of the food. Okay, And so we'll have the tickets available next Sunday after the service and the following Sunday, which is April the 2nd. Okay, We will have those tickets available. You'll need to pick those up, and that will just give us a head count in terms of how many a plan on coming for the breakfast. Um, maybe look at it like this. Typically, we do fellowships after the service. We're doing our fellowship before uh, Sunday school even on that day. So I hope you can make an effort to be here. And again, if you can't make the 630 service, that does not mean that you um, can't eat breakfast. We want you to come and we want you to fellowship because that's what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to fellowship uh, together, all right? So I'm glad I got to come up right now, even though it was not on my schedule. Um, it's good to be able to tell you that. Also, to be able to let you know, you should have received a purple sheet uh, when you walked in the door if you did not get one. Um, there are some available out in the foyer. Um, I get asked all the time, hey, Pastor Thad, what are we reading next month and this and that? And I'll just be honest with you. I just, when the Lord puts it on my heart, I'm not just going to assign a book. I, I just really am sensitive to, hey, Lord, what do you want us to read? And so that's how I kind of function. And so as I was thinking about Easter, um, I put this together for you guys. It's a reading schedule to kind of take you through uh, the Easter season, right on through uh, Easter Sunday morning. And it's just something to encourage you to read. And the reading will actually start next Sunday, but if you're one of those that says, you know what, that I'm going to need some extra time, that's fine, okay? You can start this whenever you want to. The idea is that, 
hey, the Word of God never returns void, right? And there's always something for us to learn. And if anyone needs to be celebrating Easter, it's believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I encourage you to, to take that, use that just as maybe a, a guideline for your reading uh, during the Easter season, all right? Great to see you today. Aren't you glad the clocks are forward? A little bit more time in the evening, and we went through that week. You guys even kind of look halfway awake today, so, all right. Well, let's uh, stand. Let's have prayer and ask the Lord to bless our time uh, together this morning. <clears throat> Father, thank you for what brings us here, um, and that is to worship you. Uh, I pray that our worship today is um, pleasing in your sight. And maybe if we just need a moment or two to get our minds right uh, before, um, before we begin to sing, um, maybe we'll just take that right now, Lord. Just take a couple of silent moments to, to think through what we're going to do today. Father, help us as we worship that our minds um, would be right and that our celebration would just be a result of what you are doing in our lives. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. All right, guys. Well, we're singing about Jesus this morning and the gospel. And I was telling Kevin this morning, you know, we sing about all kinds of things, right? We sing about the power of God, his, um, his love. Uh, the beauty of creation, so many different things, and we love to sing about all of them, but, uh, boy, I just love to sing about the gospel. I love to sing about Jesus. Uh, every time I hear a gospel-centered song, it just touches me uh, the way other songs sometimes can't. And I think it's because uh, I, heard a, I heard a story uh, about a guy who, he said that his uncle Harry would come to eat with him, and he never cried or anything. I think I've got the names right. But he said when his uncle Harry would ever start talking about Jesus, he'd always start tearing up. And he was this tough old guy. And he would start tearing up every time. He'd get emotional when he started talking about Jesus. And he said, we, we always knew he was going to do that, and it just appeared like Uncle Harry just never got over it. You know, he just never got over the gospel. And I think that's the reason that it's so special to us. Uh, hopefully, it's my prayer and our prayer as a body of believers that we never get over the gospel. So let's enjoy worshiping the Lord together this morning. Redeemer, 
ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah, the Lord of all. His body the bread, His blood the wine, broken and poured out all for love. There was torn of so amazing, love so amazing, Jesus Messiah, name above all names, blessed Couldn't run, couldn't run from his arms. 
What do you say after that? As we were singing Jesus Messiah, I had requested that from me a few weeks ago. I sent him a text message while he was out of town, and I just love that song. Um, the message of it is tremendous. And whether man acknowledges him as Lord, um, he is Lord. Um, he doesn't need man to acknowledge that. But if you're a believer in the Lord, isn't it wonderful to acknowledge that He is Lord? Well, we could just pray and go home. But we won't. We're making our way through First John.
It's been a process, but we're making progress. And um, I think that every section for me has been so enriching to just refresh me as a believer. And one of the most encouraging pieces of that is that it's reminded me that I belong to the Lord and that I can fellowship with Him. And there's a lot to live for. And at the center of that is Christ. Um, You know, it would be nice to have the Apostle John here with us to be able to ask him some questions. But he's not. One of the things that he does that kind of uh, drives me crazy is he gets on a subject and then he'll just stop. And he's on to the next subject, and but he's right in the middle of a subject. Like in this particular section, he, he just talked about the issue of love, and, and then he just kind of pauses and then goes in another direction. And then in 7 through 21 of chapter 4, he's back to that love thing, and it just drives me crazy. Like, why don't you just put all that together? <clears throat> but... It's the way we have it, and it's there for a reason. And I'm not so certain that any theologian could answer why it's in that order necessarily, but I, I would just um, maybe pause to consider that the, the hard part of this section, uh, it's there in that particular place because of the subject of love. Um. I think maybe we only think of love as it relates to God and others. And, and um, I'm not sure that, and when I say others, I mean other believers. And I'm not sure when it comes to the non-Christian world, you know, how that looks for us. And, and, and I was reminded just this week in watching a couple of videos um, how blessed we are to be able to say we belong to Christ. In fact, I made a statement to someone this morning. Um, I just don't know. I mean, what if you just had no hope? And you're going, trying to go through this life. Um, what an awful way to live. So if you're in here today and, and you don't have any hope, can I tell you what? Jesus Christ came that you might have hope. Um, Our hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is what? Sinking sand. Well, I'm going to ask you to consider with me this particular issue of being gullible today and I gave it the title because I think we're living in a culture where people are pretty gullible things are thrown out and someone picks it up and says oh that must be true and something else is thrown out and oh well that must be true and I think we're probably in church culture maybe more gullible than we may have ever been 
there's so many different things thrown out there as it relates to theology. And I was telling someone this morning that I'm not sure there's even a concern as much as there should be for sound doctrine. And if you're in this room and you're like, oh, Thad, that doctrine word, I don't like that word. Yeah, but that doctrine word's a really important word because this is what happens. You live your life based on what you know about God. You make decisions in your life based on what you know about God. So what do I know about God? What do I know about His Son, Jesus Christ? What do I know about the Holy Spirit? I can't imagine how important that must have been in the first century as new revelations being given. You know, we are so blessed to have this whole book. And these guys were literally sitting on the edge of their seat waiting for the next revelation from the apostles about the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have it all. But we need to understand what we have. We need to know it. As I was thinking about the issue of gullibility, these questions came to mind for you to consider. Are you easily attracted to teachings that are easy to hear? I think there are some churches that are set up that way. Are you... Of the mind that scripture was good for those in the previous generations. Especially for those in the first century. But something new and fresh is what we need today. I've almost grown to dislike the words new and fresh. We have the book. And you know what? It is new and fresh. Right? When I pick it up every day, you say, yeah, Thad, but I've read all of it. Keep reading it. It is a lifeline. It is powerful. It does not return void. I can read John 3.16, and I may have read it a thousand times. Read it a thousand and one. The Lord's going to show you something that you may have never seen. Or remind you of something that you're like, oh, yes. Well, John was living in a culture where literally the apostles were carrying the word around and revelation was being given to them and they were writing and they were, you know, writing and people were waiting to hear. Can you imagine what that must have been like? They had the Old Testament, but they didn't have the printing press. I mean, we, we have so many copies of God's word. So how much accountability is there for us? When was the last time you picked up the Word of God without having to be asked to do it? If you're a young person today, I mean, um, you can bring your Bible to church because we're going to use it. 
And I think it's important. Listen, I understand phones, and I get the technology. I, I just personally believe that it's good to hold this thing. And it's good to flip through the pages, and it's good to be able to do that. Now, I'm not being legalistic in that. I'm just saying it's good to do that. And so, like, if you need a copy, young people, and you don't have one, come to my office. I got plenty. I'll give you one. I think it's good to flip through. It's a good discipline to have. And young people, you probably get tired of your parents saying some things at times and grandparents, and you might even get tired of Pastor Thad saying things at times. But you can never read this book enough. Do this for me, young person. Tomorrow morning, when you first get up, okay, don't pick your phone up. Put a Bible right next to your bed, right? Usually young people may have a nightstand. Put a Bible there and pick it up and and go to Psalm 119 and read one verse. And say, Lord, help me today to understand what you want me to know from this one verse. You say, that, that won't work. It will work. You do that for 30 days in a row and you won't be able to stop picking up that book. Why do we need to pick up the book? Well, here it is. 1 John chapter 3, verse 24. It says, The one who keeps his commandments abides in him. That's fellowship, remember? We're not saved by keeping commandments. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him. There is fellowship and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us, that there's fellowship there. He says, because the spirit whom he has given us abides in us. How special is it to be in fellowship with the Lord and walk by the spirit? And walking by the spirit is an issue of obedience. It's what the Lord wants from his people. So then he comes to address what we talk about this morning. He says, beloved, or beloved. By the way, that root of that word is the word agape. You address believers that way. Okay. That's a very precious word. It was something that John certainly valued as he's writing to these believers. Beloved, those who belong to the Lord, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You know what's so disturbing about that verse? The word many. There are many false prophets, many false teachers today. What constitutes false? A little bit of error. Is false. He says, by this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. He's speaking about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. You say, well, how important is that? Critical. That's, that's a line in the sand doctrine. He says, an 
Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So what has he just said about Jesus? Verse 2, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. He says, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. So the one who does not believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh has the spirit of the Antichrist. They're against Christ. They're not confessing the things of Christ. So here's the question for all of us to consider today. Number one, do you confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? How important is that to you? And did you know that there are many who do not believe that? He says, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming. And now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. Verse 6, we are from God. Now it's very important that I mention this in case I forget later. <laughs> you know, as you get older, you forget things. Um, he's not comparing you and we. Okay? He's comparing believers to these who are speaking false. All right? It's, it's the contrast between believers and they. Because he uses the pronoun you in verse 4... To acknowledge that they're born ones. He says, you're from God, born ones. But in verse 6, and he already knew the apostles obviously were born ones. But verse 6, he says, we are from God. Meaning all of us. The apostles and you, right? And me. So that's important to kind of know as you're reading through this. um, And studying it. He says, we are from God. He who knows God listens to us. That word knows there is know by experience. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is a pretty um, big text. And there's a lot to consider. And it's just 1108. Praise the Lord. Here's the proposition that comes from the text. False spirits produce false teaching. Okay, false spirits produce false teaching. In the context of the passage, this false teaching comes through who? False prophets. We have to be discerning people. We have to be those who can recognize truth from error. Here's the great part of it. If you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the spirit of the living God in you. And the spirit of the living God leads us into all the truth. Have you ever said in a service in your spirit been uncomfortable with something that's said? Or have you been at another church or at a conference and someone says something and you're like, man, I don't know, that's right. My spirit doesn't testify that that's the truth, okay? This is a big subject because it's important that we be discerning as students of the Word of God and not just say, well, so-and-so wrote this, so I guess it must be true. So-and-so said this, so I guess it must be true. It's imperative that we dig 
that we take that shovel and we unpack what it is that God is really saying. So that's the proposition, I think, that comes from this. J. Dwight Pentecost says as it relates to this when he's talking about the false spirits here. He's speaking of those who propagate false messages. He's referring to these false prophets. Well, with that in mind, I want us to go to our first point in the text, which is just the first part of verse 4. All right, admonition. Now, I have a picture here. Isn't that a beautiful picture? What doesn't fit in the picture? Anyone? Say it out loud. The stop sign. It looks really weird there, doesn't it? Well, there's a reason that I chose that picture. Do you know if you just type in stop signs in, in Google, and you, you, there's in pictures of stop signs, you're going to run across that picture. Google's awesome. You can just type in, and it just gives you all these pictures. I mean, there are so many to choose from, but I like this one because the picture is beautiful. And the Christian life is a beautiful life. But there are stop signs in the Christian life. Things that we need to be aware of. You say, that where in the world do you get that? I'm going to explain that. Look at verse 1. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Do you know what that word there means? Do not believe. You say it means do not believe. Well, you'd be right. But in the Greek, which some like to look at and some might not as much, but I love to look at it because <clears throat> it points to some things at times we really need. We're not going to understand just looking at, our, at it in our English translation. The phrase do not believe means don't start believing or stop believing. Now, that's a big deal because he's writing to these born ones and he's saying to them, don't start believing every spirit or stop. In other words, you may be in the process of being gullible. Stop. You say, Thad, believers aren't gullible. Sure they are. Let me give you some examples. We should not start believing that God doesn't care about sin in our lives. You listening to me? Some churches are never going to discuss sin. How in the world are the congregants going to know what God thinks about sin? If it's never discussed. You say, Thad, Christ died for our sin. I understand that. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says, he took my place. The Bible says, if I believe in what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross and dying for my sins, I can have eternal life. That's what the Bible says. But the Bible also talks about our life as Christians and the importance of doing what? Walking by the Spirit so we don't walk by the flesh. Is it possible that believers would walk by the flesh? And the answer is yes. So we should care about sin. We should not start believing that God is good with the wife leading the home. He's not. Now that's a cultural landmine. I just stepped in it, right? Boom. 
How in the world could you say that? That have you not graduated to the 21st century? Don't you know that all homes are run by the wives these days? Didn't you watch the show Everyone Loves Raymond and you understand from that show that Raymond does not run the house? But he's actually scared of Deborah. Right? You watch that show? You've seen it? He's scared to death. Those are subtle pictures, but they paint something, do they not? They paint a broad brush of it doesn't matter who leads the home. Is God good with that? I mean, that's just a question. Is God good with that? No, he's not. So we don't need to be gullible and thinking it really doesn't matter. We don't need to stop teaching our children that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, that fathers are to bring up their children the discipline and instruction of the Lord, and that the husband is the head of the home. As Christ is the head of the church. And that does not mean dictatorship. Okay? So I need to throw that out there. It doesn't mean that at all. In fact, you know what? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Right? Oh, okay, hold on. Now, that's a different level. I'm just giving you these examples because of what we're going to speak on. We should not start believing that God doesn't care how we raise our children. He cares. Children become your friends. That's not how you raise them. You don't raise them as friends. I don't think I ever walked up to any one of my boys and said, hey, you're my buddy. You're my friend. Meaning, you're my friend. You're my friend, Caleb, at age 7. You're my friend, Micah, at age 10. You're my friend, Andrew, at age 13. No, I'm dad. I'm father. This is what we're going to do in this home. Yeah, but don't you need to get their permission first? you imagine how that would have worked in previous generations? Hey, Dad, I don't want to do that right now. <laughs> Young people, listen to me. There was no bargaining back in our day. And when you bargained, you were in trouble. So fathers are to bring up their children, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And this is important to understand, fathers. Mothers, right, who are the wives in the home, they're, they're your helper. And they're not just your helper as it relates to um, being your helper. They're helper as it relates to the children, right? I mean, it's very imperative that we understand the role there, okay? Um, wives, it doesn't, I mean, what instruction does the Bible give as it relates to mothers? Paul's just like fathers, 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 fathers. Well, mothers are going to love their children. They're going to do that. That's a component that's going to happen in their lives. So God does care how we raise our children. And then one more, just for the sake of example. We should not start believing that God will eventually bring all people to heaven. There was a dangerous teacher years ago named Rob Bell. Maybe some of you are familiar with him. And he was a proponent of that. He believes in universalism, that eventually everyone ends up in heaven. 
Is that what the Bible says? Do I want everyone to be in heaven? I do. But there have, have been many that have rejected Christ. There are many today that, will re, that reject Christ, and there will be. And by the way, if you read your Bible, the Lord is so gracious, is He not? As to give opportunity for people to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Look at what's going to happen in the tribulation period. You're going to have 144,000 witnesses and two witnesses, right? Moses and Elijah. You're going to have those there in the tribulation period witnessing. Why? Because the Lord is a gracious, gracious God. And he wants all to come to repentance. But not all will. Well, why in the world um, was John so concerned? Well, Gnosticism was on the horizon if it was not already somewhat there, present. But I believe there was a particular man who had some Gnostic tendencies that was disturbing the church. So why the admonition? I'll tell you what my viewpoint is. That man right there, Serenthus. I believe Serenthus was a headache to John. That Serenthus was a headache to Paul. Serenthus lived between 50 and 100, okay? He was born in Egypt. He was a Jew. He would have had, in his background, Jewish theology, Christian theology, and paganism. Now, put all that together, and what you got? You, you've got some confusion, do you not? Well, I've given you, I think in your notes, in your handout, there's a little bit of a description of... Serenthus. Some of that I've just told you. Um, we don't have the original writings of Serenthus, but he is addressed by one of the church fathers, Irenaeus, or Irenaeus, however you choose to pronounce that. Um, it's pronounced both ways. You say, how big of a pain was Serenthus? Well, there's a story told of John... Um, who was in the bathhouse at Ephesus. And upon seeing Serenthus at Ephesus, he says, let us, he said these, these words, let us even be gone, lest the bath should fall to pieces. Serenthus, that enemy of the truth being within. In other words, hey, this guy here is declaring what is false. He's a false teacher. Stay away from him. You say, well, how big of a deal uh, was Serenthus and his doctrine? What did he believe? Here are some things that you need to know. Ah. First of all, he denied that God made the universe. You don't have this in your notes. He said God couldn't have made the universe because of all the evil that would take place. Well, what does the Bible say? The Bible says he created the heavens and the earth. He denied the deity of Jesus Christ. We'll get into more of that in a second. He believed that Christ came upon Jesus at his baptism. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. He believed that Christ left Jesus at his crucifixion to suffer and die and rise again. Now you say, well, that... 
okay, we don't live back then, and I can't identify with that. Just put your sandals on for a second. You've got the Old Testament. You've heard the prophets. The letters are being put together. You've heard some of that. But then you're trying to put together all these pieces that you have. And you don't have one of these on your shelf readily available. Oh, I'll just get that down and read it. Listen, when the Bible says that the foundation of the church was on the apostles, the prophets and apostles, the foundation of the church, that's exactly what that means. These guys, listen to me. This was not one of those situations where every copy of what was being um, distributed among the apostles, the new revelation, was readily available. They would travel around and read those letters. It was not like we have today. So I can't imagine what it would have been like to be in the church then to try to wait and anticipate, hey, is there any more about Jesus Christ that I need to know? Which sounds odd to us, but... That's what they were going through in that culture. Um, there's a couple of things about Serenthus that you need to know that are pretty heavy things that connect to this section in 1 John. First of all, he taught that Jesus was not born of a virgin. Is that a problem? That's a problem, doctrinally speaking. It's ignoring as well Old Testament prophecy. I was thinking about this, if Serenthus lived from 50 to 100, which most believe historically, and Mary died around between 34 and 37, um, and Serenthus was in Asia Minor, specifically in Ephesus a good bit, he would have known about Mary, would he not? Probably so. But he taught that Jesus was not born of a virgin, but as being the natural-born son of Joseph and Mary, Serenthus did, did acknowledge that he was more righteous and prudent than other men. <laughs> well, how do you receive that? Well, he denies the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the second thing is that he taught that Christ and Jesus are separate beings. That's what he taught. Is that a problem? Answer, yes. He taught that at the baptism of Jesus, Christ descended upon him in the form of a dove, and after descending upon him, miracles were performed. But prior to the crucifixion, Christ departed from Jesus, leaving only the human Jesus to suffer and rise again, while Christ did not suffer or feel pain because he was a spirit being. So he separates Jesus from Christ. Well, does the Bible do that? Is, it, is that what John's doing here? No, that's not what he's doing. Um, you say, well, who was Irenaeus? Just to kind of give you an idea of, of uh, how this information came to be. Irenaeus lived in the late 2nd uh, century. Some believe he lived right at the very beginning of the 3rd and died there. But he was a student, if you will, of Polycarp, okay? And Polycarp was a student of John the Apostle, okay? So Irenaeus is the one who writes about uh, Serenthus, and 
his beliefs and his influence in that day and in that culture. I found it to be very interesting because I look at this and I go, okay, it's clear from the scriptures that Jesus Christ existed from all eternity. It's clear from the scriptures that we have in bold print, we have the incarnation of Jesus Christ spoken of by the Apostle John in John chapter 1, verse 14. That the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. You remember that, right? So as you come to this, this teaching would have been disturbing to the church. And it would have been disturbing to John. And so I believe that, specifically, John is writing to curtail some of these false teachings that were being bannered about in that time, specifically potentially uh, Serenthus being one who is influencing uh, believers. Well, we need to understand um, that Jesus was fully man and fully God. Is that important to understand? It absolutely is. It's a line in the sand doctrine. Charles Ryrie writes about this. He says, the hypostatic union is the union of two natures. Now you're in a classroom, okay? You're in a classroom now. You're sitting and you're listening. This is what they do in class. The hypostatic union is the union of two natures, the divine and the human, in the person of Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. Does the Bible tell us that? It does on numerous occasions. I point those out to you. You can read those this afternoon. He is fully God and fully man. Right? Thus he has two natures, God and man. And this is where the error sometimes you hear. I've heard it before. I've heard people say, well, yeah, he was 50% God and 50% man. That's an error, is it not? He's fully God and he is fully man. You say, well, can we prove that from the scriptures? And the answer is yes, we can. Okay, so you understand, I know this is kind of an exercise in education this morning, a little different. But it's important you understand that there were people disturbing the early believers, okay, in the first century. And Serenthus and others would have been a part of that. Um, And specifically, I believe John is pointing to this issue of the incarnation that was troubling. And uh, troubling some because Serenthus and others were speaking what was false. And John, right in the middle of his love talk he's like oh hold on a second here here you go now here's some examples in the scriptures that tell us that jesus is god and man fully god fully man he is prayed to in acts chapter 7 he prayed to the father in john 17 he is sinless the bible tells us first peter chapter 2 he was tempted in fact the bible tells us what He was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. He is omniscient. What does that mean? He knows all things. John 21 tells us that. He grew in wisdom as a man. The Bible tells us that in Luke's gospel. He gives eternal life. John chapter 10. But in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, God demonstrated his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
He died. And then Jesus is God. All the fullness of deity dwells in him. But the Bible also tells us he has a body of flesh and bones. When we get to heaven, do you know who we're going to see? Jesus Christ. That's who we're going to see. There's a song, Scars in Heaven. You ever heard that song? The only scars in heaven are going to be his. It's going to be awesome to have that perfect body, isn't it? No more pain, no more suffering. Well, so that's his admonition. And he tells us here that you can know the Spirit of God by this. Everyone who confesses, look at this, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. All right? Which leads us to the second point here. Um, excuse me. Hold on a second. Yeah. Which leads us to the second point of examination. Okay? Examination. All right? Hold on. Okay. Look what he says. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. All right? By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you've already heard that it is coming and now is already in the world. Okay, so from this particular section, uh, which is uh, 1b through 3, John focuses on the issue of examination, okay, examination. As we come to this particular section, um, the issue that's being examined is about the incarnation of Christ, all right? Why do we have to examine the scriptures? Because there are people out there who have false messages, Um the reputation of the Bereans was quite something, which I think should serve as an example for us. Notice what the text tells us. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Okay, so... The instruction to these believers, to these born ones, is going to be in 1 John chapter 4. Hey, test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Well, I think for us, in terms of an example, the Bereans are a great example because they examine the scriptures. And the Bible tells us how, how often do they do that every day. You know that word examine, there is an interesting word it's the word krinos. It means to judge. And there's a prefix that, that comes before that word uh, krinos in the Greek, which points to the rigorous process that you need to have in judging. So it wasn't just like they looked at a text and went, oh, okay, so-and-so said this, oh, okay, no, no, no. It's like they were taking a magnifying glass and digging into what was being said and what was being proposed, okay? So, 
we have an example there in the Bereans. But here's what John says to his audience. Test the spirits. That word test there is an important word. Even though it's not the same word that is used in Acts, the word pictures someone testing metals to determine the genuineness or authenticity of that metal. Testing golds, testing silver, okay, is the idea there. He says, test the spirits or the messengers to see whether they are from God, John tells them. Well, why does he tell them that? Well, he tells us. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Who are people you could cite today that have left an impression on the church with false messages? That will be around, meaning the messages... 10 years and 20 years and 100 years even from now. There are a lot of false teachers in our culture today. All you have to do is turn on the television or listen to the radio and you will hear them. They preach and they teach. Every person who stands behind a lectern needs to be examined because there is no man who is perfect. Myself foremost. So what's disturbing to me, as I mentioned earlier, is John says to his audience, listen, there are many of them. There's not just a few. There are a number of them. One of them possibly being Serenthus that was bothering them. He says they've gone out into the world. Notice what he says. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming. And now it is already in the world. So where, if you back up in the middle of that verse, he says, Every spirit that, confess, excuse me, that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That word confesses means this. It means that everything that is said about Jesus Christ, you're on board with, right? So if someone's saying, well, Jesus was just a man, but he wasn't God, is that a problem? Absolutely a problem, okay? So everything that we have about Jesus Christ doctrinally, everything that we know we need to stand on, and obviously the incarnation of Jesus Christ is one of those critical doctrines, There's another thing that needs to be pointed out here. Later in the verse, he says, Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist of which you have heard. You say, Thad, how many times did they hear it? What's interesting, that phrase expresses that this is something they heard over and over and over and over and over again. They heard about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Why did they hear about it over and over and over and over again? Because it's a vital doctrine, right? That's why they heard it over and over and over again. One of the things that I wanted to do just briefly this morning is give you uh, something as it relates to the Spirit of God. 
right in the middle of that verse, or that section there in 1b through 3, you have, by this you know the Spirit of God. When it comes to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, that's a doctrine that I would say over the years in my life as a Christian um, has been an interesting doctrine to discuss. I'll just put it that way. The charismatic church, I think, halted some evangelicals and some evangelicals backed away from discussing the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit because of the charismatic movement. And so they kind of went to this side and said, eh, let's not talk about that. That's, that's controversial. And they felt uncomfortable in their clothes. and like, we're not touching that. And then you have, on this side of the ledger, those who believe that unless you have the second baptism, you're not saved. Well, that's a problem because that's not what the Bible says, okay? And so there's confusion and then there's um, a lot of caution. So what is it that we need to know? What the Bible says. What does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit critical for a believer? Yes. Is it important to know about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Let me give you a few things that were important to the apostles, and it's right from the Gospel of John about the Holy Spirit. Because remember... As it relates to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit began to indwell believers when? Pentecost, okay? In the Old Testament, he primarily came upon believers. There were a couple of examples where he indwelt for a period of time. But majority of the time in the Bible, you have the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament coming upon believers. And the Holy Spirit beginning to indwell believers at Pentecost. Um. Here's some things that would have been important because the apostles were the ones that heard these things in the upper room with the Lord Jesus. Remember what that whole scene was, right? He tells them, hey, look, I've been with you, but I'm leaving, and where I'm going, you can't come now, right? You remember that? And if you're one of those apostles, isn't that what you wanted to hear? I mean, right? They didn't get it completely. And so the Lord promised them that they would receive another helper. Of the same kind. In other words, he was with them, but he would be in them. And that would begin at Pentecost. Well, these things, for us, we go, oh, yeah, you know, I mean, this is great. But all these things are for us to consider, too, in our Christian life. We know, according to the Bible, that the helper is the spirit of what? Truth. Okay, that's a distinctive. He's the spirit of truth. The helper the world does not have. Okay, the world does not have the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verse 17, Jesus tells his disciples, Hey, look, the helper will be in you. What did that mean to them? Well, you know what it meant to them? They wouldn't be alone. Guys, you hear the phrase bannered about at times, I feel all alone. You might have even said that yourself. I've probably said it many times. We are never alone if we belong to Christ. The Spirit of God lives in us. All right? The helper, it says in chapter 14, verse 16, will be with you forever. Then there's some more about the doctrine here. 
of the Holy Spirit. The helper will teach them all things, them being the apostles. The helper will remind them of all things taught. They could depend on that. Well, how big of a deal was that? Well, if you're out there and your life's literally on the line, that's a big deal. And all the apostles lost their life as martyrs except for John, and he sure didn't have a good time of it. Um, He lived under a ruthless ruler, Domitian, who exiled him to the island of Patmos. It's said that historically that he was put in a hot cauldron of oil. That doesn't sound any good. Um, So, I mean, all these guys, how important were these things said? Crucial. Um, Seventh thing there, the helper will give testimony of Jesus. And... um, the helper will guide you into all the truth, which is critical because as you come to 1 John, I look at that eighth point there and I go, hey, the Holy Spirit is going to do what? He's going to lead me into all the truth. Okay? You say, where do I find this truth? Here. And we're not waiting for something new and fresh. Okay? We have the Spirit of the living God within us. All right, so we go from the admonition to the examination. So I encourage you to examine every time you're sitting somewhere in an audience like this morning, examine it. You need to. Okay, I'm encouraging you to do that. So John goes from admonition to examination, and then he ends this particular section with separation. Now, remember, we said the separation is not between the apostles and these believers, or not between John and these believers, but the separation is between those who propose truth and those who propose error, okay? Notice what he says in this particular section. I want to look at that uh, together. He says, you are from God, little children, born ones. Are you from God? Do you know that for a fact? He's writing to us as believers. He says, you are from God, little children, born ones, and have overcome them. Now, I'm learning on Sunday night in my small group, uh, Robbie Roberts is teaching through um, the churches in Revelation. And we looked at this word, overcome. And this word, we get our word Nike from this word, overcome. It expresses victory. This is a beautiful message. He says, you are from God, little children, and have victory over them. So this is not like this sad letter or part of the letter. He's saying, look, you have victory. There's victory over these false messengers. You have that, he says. You've overcome them. They did that in their own strength? Answer, no. That's not what it says. Look what it says. He says, you've overcome them. How? Because greater is he who is in you. Who is in you? I mean, if you're one of those believers in that time, and you're hearing all these different voices, right? And and somebody's proposing, hey, look, hey, Jesus Christ, he he was just a man. He really wasn't God in the flesh. 
And you're a believer, you go, man, that's disturbing news. Well, where'd you hear that? Well, so-and-so told me. I didn't know that. You say, well, Thad, how could they have been so gullible? They didn't have all of it like we have. There was a lot there that they had to overcome. And so this statement alone is pretty amazing. He says, you've overcome them because greater is he who is in you. Who is in you? The Spirit of God is in you. The Spirit of the living God is in you. He says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. These false messengers, all, right, that he's spoken about here in this section. He says, greater is the Spirit of God in you than the spirits who are speaking through these false prophets. Oh, well, that's right. That's what John says to them. Notice what he says. He says, they are from the world. Who's from the world? These false prophets. Therefore, they speak as from the world. How do false teachers speak? How do they speak? You think there, there's some that know they're proposing false messages? Yeah. How do they speak? Well, we got time to look at this. I want you to go back in your Bibles. I want to show you something quickly. Paul speaks about it in 2 Timothy. Chapter 4, he's just said, all scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Right? Why? So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And that's what he says to Timothy. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. That's pretty huge. In other words... As these witnesses, in front of these witnesses, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in this kingdom, make sure you have a message that sounds good. He says, preach the word. Say, hold on a second. That, that's just too difficult. That's not going to sound good to those who are sitting in an audience like this this morning. And I like that love stuff we've been talking about. Well, I like it too. But John has a pause and we have a pause. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, meaning all the time. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. How do, you, how do those words reprove and rebuke hit you? You know, in, in, in baseball, if you get hit by a curveball, it doesn't hurt very much because it's coming in slower. You might even stick your shoulder out there and, and I'll take one for the team. But when you got a 90-mile-an-hour fastball coming at you, it's like, no thanks, right? 
Well, I think it's kind of the same thing. Softballs feel pretty all right, but a fastball, that's going to hurt. So he says, preach the word. But notice how he says to do it. He says, with great patience and instruction. Okay? Why? Notice what he says, verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Who's they? Huh? Who's they? You know, they can refer to the unbelieving world, but I believe it's believers. They will not endure sound doctrine. What do you mean, Dad? Well, how popular is the doctrine of sin, do you think, in churches today? How popular is the doctrine of hell? Not very popular. Listen to me. I'm a straightforward guy. That's the way God made me. I'm just that way. I can tell you this. I love people. And I want people to come to Christ. But I cannot in me. There's nothing in me that looks at a person and says, Well, then hold on a second. How can I present the gospel in such a way that they're not offended? What are you talking about? We've got wonderful news for them. They're guilty. You said, Dad, they're not going to like that. Okay. I didn't think it was that grand. But the reality is, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. True? Right? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. Listen to me. The wages of sin is death. That's a rough part too. But the free gift of God is eternal life. That's awesome. You say, hey, I don't have to die in my sins. I can have everlasting life through faith in Christ. I'm worried about the church. I really am. If the Lord tarries in his coming for 20 years, I'm not sure what the church is going to look like. We live in a culture that just doesn't want to be offended. That's the truth. Well, my Bible tells me in Corinthians that the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. But guys, we can present it in such a way that's loving and compassionate and caring but we can't clip out parts so it's palatable. We have to tell the truth. Notice he says, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. What's the church, by definition? It's an assembly of believers. Why do we gather on Sunday morning? Do we gather on Sunday morning so that we hear pleasantries? And is it designed, is the church assembly designed? And I don't, I don't know how you're going to hear this. Is the church assembly designed for unbelievers? It's not. Say, that, that's not very welcoming. Look, if you're here and you're not saved, you're welcome. 
But the best thing I can tell you is that Christ died for your sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. That's the best thing I can tell you, that he died in your place. I don't know what else to say. If they gave me five minutes on national news, that's what I'd have to say. I'd have to say it. Because I got the Spirit of God in me who every single time I open this book, I'm led to like, hey, here's the truth. This is the truth. This is the truth. This is the truth. That's what John wanted for his audience. He wanted them to listen to the truth. And that's what I want for you. I want you to listen to the truth. He says, you're from God, little children. You've overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak us from the world. And the world does what? Listens. You know what that means in the original? You'll love this. It refers to one who is receptive to the message. They're listening. They love it. They want to listen. I can't get enough of that. Ice cream and cotton candy. I need all I can get. He says, we are from God. He who knows God listens. That word means to make a choice to hear. You're making a choice to listen. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and of error. How important is listening? You think that's a key term here? Listen, 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 listen. Those who are of the truth speak the truth and hear the truth. Those who are of error do not speak the truth and they don't hear the truth. I have three things you can write down there for you to take home. Um, one of the hard things to do is when you've been out for a couple of weeks is to kind of wrap things up. Um, now I'm going to do that. Um, I've got a video I want to show you. I think it's a good time to show it and then praise team the praise team will close after the video and so after they're done singing then you'll you'll be able to just stand up and go home or eat or whatever it is you're going to do I was looking at videos about people's response to Jesus Christ like who do they say Christ is and what's interesting about this particular video is that these are Jewish people answering the question of who is Jesus. And it reminded me that we have a huge task at hand. There are so many people, as you'll see from this video, who have no idea who Jesus Christ is. They don't know. They certainly don't know him to be the Son of God. So watch this video, and the praise team will come and and close this Reveal yourself as Messiah Yeshua. That you would know that you are out there and that you are real. And that her wish to know you can come true in Yeshua. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeshua Mashiach. Amen. Amen. I felt that. All of my energy is filled that you prayed for me. So the hard truth is that less than 1% of the Israeli population know Jesus as their Messiah and Savior. Today, we're going out on the streets and asking Israelis, what do they know about the Messiah and Jesus? Let's find out. Do you know who the Messiah is? No. <laughs> the Messiah? I don't know who the Messiah is. I don't know a lot. 
uh, if we know it, you know, it will be amazing. Is the one that's supposed to bring uh, happiness and joy to the world? I think it's Eliyahu uh, Navi. What about you? What do you think? Yeah, what do you think? Wow. <laughs> um, Moses, no? Do you know anything about Yeshua? No. Jesus? No. Nothing? No. No. Because I was uh, in the, the Jewish uh, school when I yeah. was young, you know, so I never. Of course, I know the story, but like this, like everyone, you know, but not, uh, not, not, too, not too much. Do you think he could be the Messiah? Messiah? I don't think so. No. I don't think so. Maybe, you know, I don't want to, to say something stupid, you know, so I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I love Jesus and I love everything and I'm not a religious. Religious uh, cause a lot of problems. Do you know who Jesus is? <laughs> yeah. What do you know about Jesus? It was true. And Sababa is for Christian people and the son of the the God of the, for a Christian. The Christian, God for the Christian, even though he was Jew. He was Jew, that's it. But he's God for Christians. That's another story. Do you know who Jesus is? I know who Jesus is, yes. Do you know the story of Jesus? Yes. So basically the Christians believe that uh, Jesus is the Messiah and there's a whole uh, thing about like a rebirth um, He's dead, they, he comes back, then there's the persecution, uh, I forgot the, the name of it, but like when they, uh, Tsovimoto, uh, yeah. Crucified. Crucified, yeah. Um, yeah, that's it, like, yeah. Like, do you know why he died? Why was he crucified? Something about the sins or... The yeah, sins of? Yeah, yeah. Everybody, I don't know, I don't, I don't know much about it, but, uh, yeah. So basically it's our sin, yeah. and he dies on the cross for, uh, for us, like so that. we yeah, can yeah, be yeah, with yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. Nice, yeah. what's your name, man? Bar. Bar? Yeah. Nice, Bar. can I pray for you, man? Pray? Yeah. For a Christian or yeah. go for it. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you touch Bar and you let him know that you are the Messiah. Yeah. Amen. Thank you, Bar. Have a great day, man. Yeah, what do you know about him? Uh, Jesus is um, and son of God and son of um, Virgin uh, Mariah and uh, I don't know what is the past. Do you believe that's true? I am. I believe, I believe that it's true. Um, it's, uh, I want to believe that it's true. <laughs> it, that's more uh, accurate. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you. Can I pray for you? What's your name? Shira. Shira, can I pray for you? Yes. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Shira. Thank you for her open heart and her wonderful smile and her kind nature. Lord, I pray that you continue to open your, your, her heart to you and that you can reveal to her who you truly are and that her wish to know you can come true in Yeshua. In His name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank God bless you. you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> wow, Jeff. So many people had no idea who Jesus was. Yeah, and actually some did. Yeah, and yeah, when they did... Yeah, I was pretty surprised. They didn't know like the whole story, which I feel is so important to share with them. Yeah. When they get the whole story and then they, they understand what Jesus has done for us and how beautiful that love is it just has so much power it does and i pray and hope that god will use it and will get these people to know jesus as the messiah absolutely so if you could uh pray for these people as well yeah you don't need to know their names god knows who they are just keep your prayers out for them and uh thank you for watching and supporting our our channel with your with your views and your likes if you like the video
All right, guys, y'all can all stand. We've sung this last song many, many, many times, but it is still just as powerful as the first one, and it's, it's really a prayer. So you guys sing it with us. Let that be our prayer this week, guys. Y'all are dismissed.